Hi everyone, Martin Tyler here. There's no better place to catch up with all the news from Liga and French football than the official Liga podcast. Here's Neymar now. Cavani is there. Balotelli on the turn. Quality. Kalupa Cavano. Oh, what a strike! An absolute beauty for Florian Tovar. Kylian Mbappe wraps it up. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Le Bourgeois Podcast. Coming up in the next 40 minutes or so, PSG's title party is put on hold as Chupo Moting decides France isn't yet ready. Lyon fans protest as Dijon plunder a nail into Bruno Genesio's coffin. 42 years without a Marseille win in Bordeaux is too much for Florian Tovan to take. And Stevan Jovetic breaks the gangon. Hearts. Joining me in uh, the pod this week, I have uh, two journalists, two commentators opposite me, Andy Scott. How are you, Andy? Grumpy. Why? <laughs> well, it's been uh, an early start after a late finish last night, Matt. We've all been a little bit grumpy preparing <laughs> for this pod, but we're going to try to get into a, into a good mood. Andy had a late night and uh, I need not my good. beauty he's, sleep. He's not good, only... Only a few hours sleep, but uh, David Cross and I'm sure will lighten the mood as ever. I'm in a good mood today, Matt. It's sunny outside. The coffee that uh, Robbie Thompson has prepared for us is very, very good. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that, Robbie. No Robbie in the podcast, but uh, he is hosting us uh, once again. This is, this is the problem, really, with the, uh, the scheduling. Uh, they have the big game at 9 o'clock p.m. local time in France. I don't so. think we're going to get much sympathy here, Matt. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, to be fair, it's not as bad as Spain. I remember going to a game in Spain once that kicked off at five past midnight, so it's not as bad as that. No, no, okay, but uh, we were at the Parc des Princes last night thinking that it was going to be an even later night because we were thinking Paris Saint-Germain were going to be celebrating the league title. Earlier in the afternoon, Lille were held to a draw um, away to Rouse. That meant that PSG could clinch the title. They could equal their record of uh, winning the league with eight games to spare. But it didn't happen. It was an eventful night at the Parc des Princes. Here are some of the highlights. Well played, Alves and Cuckoo! And Chupo Moting has stopped it! Unbelievable! Chupo Moting actually stopped that ball on the line. It was going in. And out swinger. Oh, it's it! A superb strike from Gonzalez. Incredible scenes here at the Parc Prince. Buffon beaten for the second time, and it's Strasbourg who go in front. And now the header! Carrer! PSG level! And maybe they will be celebrating the title tonight. They've got about 10 minutes to try to find a winner. It'll be their second draw against PSG in the league this season and it will cap a wonderful week for the Alsace club. Coupe de la Ligue winners last weekend. And now a point at the Parc des Princes. Paris Saint-Germain will have to wait before celebrating the eighth league title in their history. It all goes to Lille next weekend. Well, Andy, it finished 2-2. Terrific performance by Strasbourg. I think they need to get a lot of credit. They've had an amazing week, winning the Coupe de la Ligue, beating Rouse 4-0 in midweek, and then uh, getting that draw at the Parc des Princes. You were there. How did you, uh, how did you enjoy the evening? First of all, 
a word about the team selection. It was a little bit surprising because PSG are, are missing uh, Neymar, Cavani and Neymar, sorry, and Di Maria through injury. And yet Tuchel left his talisman, Kylian Mbappe, on the bench from the start. Yeah, I mean, he was asked about this in his press conference after the game and he was actually quite tetchy. I think... Uh... There were, there were several reasons why he wasn't in a great mood, one of them being um, the, uh, a slight confrontation he had with uh, Laurent Paganelli, the Canal Plus touchline reporter, after the game, but various other reasons as well. And of course, the result in itself, which denied them the title, There's left something in the, in, in the air at the moment. We're all a bit touchy. There, is, there obviously is, too. yeah, clearly. But in, in, his, in his press conference after the game, he was, he was obviously asked about Mbappe and he didn't appreciate it. I mean, his answer was, you know, it made perfect sense. The guy who's, let's not forget, you know, only only 20, has played a lot of football recently. He's played 90 minutes in, uh, well, Tuchel said nine consecutive games for club and country, I guess. I, I've not checked that myself, but in any case, he has played a lot of games, uh, hasn't had a, a, a many chances to rest. And this was an opportunity. Maybe it wasn't the best game in which to do it, but, you know, Mbappe can't play every minute of every game. And it just exposes the the sort of um, weakness or lack of depth in the PSG squad again, which Tuchel is always talking about. Just talk us through the, the Chupa Moting thing, because we heard the commentary there. To be fair to Chupa Moting, he scored the opening goal. Strasbourg then equalised and it was 1-1. And it was just one of the most bizarre things I've seen on a, on a football pitch, Andy. Yeah, it's funny. I, was, I mean, I was sitting in the press box of the Parc des Princes and a, a colleague of mine, we kind of looked at each other after it, just couldn't believe what had happened. I mean, I've been to a lot of football games and I've, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, it was a brilliant goal line clearance. It's the best way you can describe it. The ball was not exactly flying in, but it was going in and he, he contrives to stop it. And it's just it's just the latest episode in a slightly unfortunate career at PSG for Eric Maxim Chupomoting, isn't it? And Thomas Tuchel, after the game, again, was asked about this and he talked about him lacking confidence, which you need to play in the PSG first team on a regular basis. But it, it was kind of an acceptance that the guy is not good enough to play for a team of that level, I think, which is which is a bit harsh, but, you know, is that, it that makes does, him a laughing stock, unfortunately, that miss, which is harsh, but it's, it's I just I think true. you're being a bit harsh because I think Chupa Moting has made a pretty good Im impression and I, I've got a lot of time for him because he's basically been brought in as a substitute um, and he's been a positive influence, I think, on the training ground, in the dressing room. And his performances haven't been that bad, but it, it was bizarre, just for those who haven't seen it. And Kunku chipped the goalkeeper. Um, it, it sort of deflected, but the ball was going to roll over the line. And then Chupomoting, you could see, he just, he didn't quite know what to do. It was like he'd been possessed by some kind of power and, and he just stopped the ball on the line. But I, th I think one of the things with that is that when you see, I mean, when you see any top level player playing football, you think, wow, this is brilliant what they're doing. They make it look so easy. But actually what they're doing is really difficult. But when you see what Chupomoting did, it's one of these things where you know that if you'd done that in a game in a park, you'd be laughed at. That, that's the, I mean, way, that's the beauty yeah. of football. It's harsh on Chupomoting. You're right. I mean, obviously the guy has, has not, he's, he's actually be, a very good player. You'd be beaten but, up, wouldn't you, by the guy who, who had the shot that was going in? This is the thing. And unfortunately for I'm not him, playing five-a-side with you again, man. I've seen some pretty <laughs> odd things when we've played our... <laughs> our matches together football journalists tend to be quite bad at football Robbie Thompson accepted um, I, I understand why Tuchel brought in Chupo Moting because they know each other from before they work together at Mainz and there are very few international footballers who will accept the role of being the fringe player and be patient on the bench and have that um, good team spirit and that positive attitude and he has become something of a cult figure among the Paris Saint-Germain supporters, but that's, that is to do with his limitations as a player as well. He has actually scored 
I think three goals in his last six games for club and country. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why that Chupamoting miss has gone around the world, and it's yeah. Uh, at least he had the courage to front up to the press afterwards. Yeah, but that was even even more bizarre because you kind of he, he tried to explain what what had happened and. It was like he was still confused. He was saying, well, I thought Nkunku maybe was going to pass the ball to me. Then I thought I was offside and uh, then the ball hit the post. What, what are you talking I, about? I, mean, I, th- I think he did maybe think he was offside. When you but see then why it, touch it? Well, I know. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's inexplicable. There's no, way, there's no way really of explaining what happened. It's just one of these things. And it's just such a shame because ultimately in the cold light of day, it's, you know, if they'd gone 2-1 up, they probably would have gone on to win the game. And, and, and of course... Uh, events unfolded in, in the opposite direction and they've missed out so it, it, he's made to look uh, even more foolish but the guy yeah he's a cult hero but he was also I mean he was he was booed off and it was a really mm. you know it was quite unpleasant when he came off um, just in the second half you talked about Thomas Tuchel being tetchy after the game he certainly was he was sent off in the second half as well for for complaining and um, another just explanation just to develop a little bit what you mentioned it because Laurent Paganelli annoyed him. Now, Laurent Paganelli, for those who don't know him, he's a he's a cult figure, really, in France. He's been doing uh, touchline uh, reporting for Canal Plus for for decades. A former player uh, at Saint Etienne, and um, he's kind of half journalist, half comedian. I think it's fair to say that he spends a lot of the time laughing and joking. I remember actually when he went up to David Beckham when Beckham was playing for PSG and was on the bench, and he just looked absolutely flabbergasted, Beckham by this guy who was coming up and uh, chuckling and trying to speak English to him. And he was like, uh, I'm trying to watch the game. But he does bring this sort of uh, comedy element. And basically, he'd, 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 I think, been given Dimitri Lienar's shirt after the game. And he was conducting his interview with a Strasbourg goalkeeper, Matt Seltz, who was brilliant, by the way, in that game, um, with the shirt on. And Thomas Tuchel, quite annoyed, obviously, that his side hadn't won, saw this journalist in the in a Strasbourg shirt and said, you know, what are you doing in the Parc des Princes here, apparently celebrating a, a Strasbourg draw? But um, I mean, he's, he's not to everybody's taste. At least I think when you come from from uh, from outside France, maybe it takes a bit of getting used to the way that Laurent Paganelli uh, conducts himself on the touchline. That's yeah. one way of putting it. Yeah, he can, he can, he can be annoying, but I've got a bit of respect as well, or a lot of respect for the way he interacts with the players and the players generally generally well, that, love that's that's one of the things that when you come from the UK for example we're not used really to seeing a, a touchline reporter asking questions to players in the dugout during the game it's, it's a very different um, way of, of, of sort of doing the whole the whole thing but yeah Lauren Paganelli clearly upset Thomas Tuchel Dave PSG um, they're going to be champions we know that they've got eight games left to play next Sunday uh, they travel to Lille if they avoid defeat they will be champions. If they don't avoid defeat, then I'm sure they'll be champions the, uh, the following week. But Thomas Tuchel isn't completely uh, satisfied with life. We know that they've had disappointments in the Coupe de la Ligue and especially in the, in the Champions League. They've got a Coupe de France final to look forward to against Rennes. But um, the fact that, yes, he's having to rest Mbappe, he's only naming five substitutes. We've seen this a few times this season. It's almost like he's making a statement to the club saying I don't have enough players um, because he could quite easily put some kids uh, on the bench to, to, to fill up the positions. Do you think that Thomas Tuchel is, is, is justified in, uh, in telling the Paris Saint-Germain board that it hasn't been good enough in terms of the recruitment, particularly, I would say, in the midfield this season? 
it is justified and I'm still yet to be convinced that Paredes is the the solution to all of Paris Saint-Germain's midfield problems despite some promise that he's shown after joining from Zenit St. Petersburg. Um, Now at the start of the season Tuchel was getting a massive amount of credit for giving these players that have come through the PSG youth system or been signed very young and come to Paris just to hone their talent a chance that Timothy Weyer played a bit at the start of the season before being loaned to Celtic and um, Moussa Diaby we saw played very well at times, uh, Colin Dagba's played some and Paris Saint-Germain need to get these youth products into the team and getting some action. But by naming a limited number of outfield players, yeah, there's a very clear message from Tuchel that uh, they need to get more strength in depth into this squad, that uh, it is a, a lopsided squad that the midfield needs addressing. And when those stars aren't there, and <laughs> any team in the world would struggle if you didn't have the, the quartet of players uh, available uh, with Mbappe on the bench and uh, Cavani, Neymar and Di Maria injured. But yeah, there's work to do in the summer. Everyone knows this. Paris Saint-Germain are bossing this league. They are 20 points clear still. One of the big problems, if you like, in terms of the competitivity, competitive, competitiveness, competitiveness <laughs> that are Franglais coming in there of this league is that the, uh, the other big teams have struggled this season. And we saw it again at the weekend. Lyon have had a disastrous uh, week and it was capped off by, uh, by their defeat at home against Dijon, a defeat that was watched by David Crosser. Amel Fitano former Newcastle United player to Saeed and the shot comes in it takes a deflection and Dijon are in front a huge deflection on the shot Leon 1 Dijon 2 as things just get worse and worse for Genesio and OL listen to the boos ringing around Groupama Stadium well David it was uh, an incredible match and in particular an incredible opening to the match three goals in the first seven minutes Leon actually got off to a good start Martin Terrier scoring what happened next and what went wrong for Leon? after 37 seconds when Terrier tapped the ball in from a corner cross Genesio the coach looked so happy because he'd brought those players into the team after the disappointment of the home Coupe de France semi-final exit to Rennes in midweek um, but then man, the defensive problems resurfaced. Marcelo, the vice captain, the Brazilian defender, is having a really tough 2019. And he was at fault for uh, the first um, Dijon goal in particular. There was a bit of bad luck with the deflection off Marcelo for the, the Saeed strike for the second one. Uh, Rafael was struggling at left back. Uh, Dijon at times could basically just walk through the centre of the park. And we've already spoken about Lyon's midfield problems and that's despite them having such talent in that area. Uh, Ndombele was left on the bench at the weekend. For me, Tusa is really struggling now. He's not come through the way people expected. He looked so mature when he was playing every game after Maxime Gonolon was sold a couple of years ago. But now I, I think his career's gone backwards. Awa, like Marcelo, is also having a tougher time in 2019. Players aren't performing at their best and they're not being saved by the goal scorers in the way that they were when they had that run of nine wins in ten games at the end of last season in order to get into the Champions League. But are they are they not being helped also by everything that's going on around the club? It's been a disastrous week. They were dumped out of the Coupe de France by Rennes in the semi-finals at home. And there was a, just a, a huge media circus around this game because it had uh, been leaked by the press that Lyon were going to announce 
a decision regarding Bruno Genesio's future. The coach, it was expected, was about to extend his contract because at the weekend he'd basically um, let on that he knew what the decision was going to be and he said that with a big smile and every, everybody thought, OK, he's going to get a contract extension. Leon lost at home to Rennes and then we had this just uh, surreal episode where Olas and Genesio came into the press conference together, sat down and Jean-Michel Olas announced that Genesio was not going to get his contract extended. His contract is running out at the end of the season. It hasn't yet been uh, decided as to whether he will be kept on or not. It's looking highly unlikely, but it was embarrassing. He was like a naughty schoolboy sitting next to Jean-Michel Olas. Andy, it hasn't been helpful, has it? And the atmosphere uh, around the Dijon game, the fans were pretty hostile towards their own players. Yeah, I mean, I was I was in Lyon last uh, midweek for the cup game against Rennes and the atmosphere was very strange. There was this something in the air. Just everything seemed to be sort of waiting for this announcement after the game uh, about Bruno Genesio's future, almost as though the game itself was a sideshow, even though it wasn't. You knew that the, the result of this game would have some kind of impact, even just on the reaction of the supporters. And it was very strange as soon as the game finished because you had Jean-Michel Olas... Uh, heading straight into the, the auditorium at the, the stadium there in Lyon to give his press conference with uh, Bruno Genesio. And in, at the same time, the ultras, the hardcore supporters left behind in the stadium were calling for Genesio to go. Just at this point where you thought, well, maybe Olas is still going to announce this, this extension of his contract. In the end, there's no way that he could do that um, in, in the wake of the result, which, by the way, losing to Rennes in a cup semi-final is hardly a disgrace. But you mentioned the form of Marcelo. He was at fault for a couple of the goals against Rennes. They've got a lot of problems they need to sort out. I don't think Jean-Michel Olas, he clearly doesn't know if he wants to, it's, if he yeah, thinks just to, is the right man. Just to sort forward. of clarify the, the situation even further after Matt's very good explanation, that uh, it was going to be a two-year automatic contract extension if Lyon made the cup final and finished in the top three. So what Olas was claiming in the auditorium was that the contract wasn't going to be signed there and then. It was still conditioned on, in any case, whether they were they got through to the final or not, it was going to be conditional whether they finished in the top three come the end of the season. But why didn't he clear that up before? Because the whole country was led to believe, and the Lyon fans were led to believe, that the decision was on Tuesday. And by all accounts, that's what Bruno Genesio thought, even though he hasn't said that. Yeah, the, the seven days have been really difficult. They approached that week with massive optimism, expecting to be in a Coupe de France final against PSG and to start putting pressure on Lille. They end the week in disarray. And we spoke last week about... Marseille being uh, at the end of a cycle potentially, that's what their president said. Well, Lyon have that end of cycle feel now, not just in terms of Genesio, the coach, but also in terms of the future of several of the players. And that's something that the supporters were alluding to with their banners at the weekend, saying if you, you're thinking about other clubs, go and um, go and mess them up, basically, was the message. It's going to be hard for them to, to, well, they're bound to lose. We spoke a few weeks ago, they're bound to lose two or three important, very talented uh, young players in the summer. But actually... In a way, they've not come out of this weekend too badly because of the Lille result, bearing in mind that Lille, as we said, played Paris Saint-Germain next weekend. It could have been worse. You know, the, the five points behind is a possibility that that will be down to two again next weekend. And then suddenly the, the outlook is a little bit different, even if it's been a disastrous last week for them. But uh, Dave, you touched on the, the reaction of the supporters and the, the banners. There were a lot of banners. And throughout this season, um, there's been a sort of hostile attitude from sections of the supporters towards Bruno Genesio. Um, we had uh, the fans protesting by being silent for seven minutes, seven minutes of silence for seven years without a trophy. There were big hopes in Lyon that they were going to end that uh, drought with a, 
with with the Coupe de France. And uh, to be honest with you, it's something that that we see a lot in France, and I think it's something that is positive and should be encouraged that the supporters feel part of this project and and participate in the life of a football club. And I think Jean-Michel Olas has been incredibly supportive and patient of Bruno Genesio. Yes, results haven't been too bad, but there have been some obvious lapses. And he's always backed Bruno Genesio, despite the supporters saying, we want a more established, uh, a bigger name coach to, to coach these big players. And just uh, one thing that I found interesting, Jean-Michel Olas met personally every single Lyon supporter group I think there are around about 20 supporter groups, even the smaller ones. And he discussed the coaching situation with them. And you don't see that in certain countries. You certainly don't see that in England, where you have a club president meeting face to face with all these different supporter groups. Now, you could say, well, these fans are a spoil. Do they do they deserve, you know, do they, do they, do they have a right to be winning trophies every year, Leon? But uh, you know, Jean-Michel Olas, he has his knockers. He has plenty of them in France. But uh, I think if you're a Lyon fan, you have to admire and you have to, to, to appreciate having this guy the, at the head of your football club. David, what, you know, are, you, are you agreeing with that? Right. What Olas did with getting the new stadium uh, as well is incredible in France. It's very difficult to do these big projects when the finance is private rather than um, coming through uh, public funding. So that was incredible. Um, in terms of the trophies, everyone knows that with Paris Saint-Germain around, it's much harder to win them. So seven years without a trophy, it is too long for Lyon, considering they had their seven titles in a row through to 2008. Uh, but they've held their position um, up there in the top echelons of the French game. It, it was like three years ago, wasn't it, when they finished 31 points back from PSG in second. But at least they have been consistently getting themselves into the, the top positions in Ligang and bringing players through the youth system and playing some good football at times. The problem this season has been the inconsistency. I can understand the fans' frustration. Yeah, I think uh, that that's the problem, really, that they have been consistently up there, but there's still a feeling that they could have done more. They've been knocked out of cup competitions <laughs> in such disappointing fashion, not just this season, but in previous years. You know, you look at Strasbourg going on to win the League Cup and, you know, that could have been Lyon and, OK, it's... The League Cup is maybe not the same as winning the league, but it, it would be a huge boost to the club to win some silverware. They're, tw they're 25 points behind PSG, and that should not be the case. No. It's time, isn't it, to get in a top-name manager? Well, reports, think... reports, sorry, Andy, in Le Keep this morning, that reports that Lyon are talking to, to Laurent Blanc, and they're sounding out Laurent Blanc. Of course, we've heard the links with uh, Jose Mourinho. We've even had a link to Hervé Renard, which perhaps economically speaking is more realistic than, than Jose Mourinho. Um, is it time to go foreign? Is it time for Lyon to, to get a big-name foreign manager? I'm not sure about that. I think, <clears throat> I think with... Uh, Scottish manager, Andy. Well, S Scottish managers have, have, have been brilliant in the past. You know, We're just looking for the next, uh, the next great one to come through. But yeah, I mean, I mean just on Genesio, you know, finally... It's quite extraordinary the, the reaction in a way of the supporters because here's a Lyon man, uh, an ex-Lyon player, who's been on the staff at the club for a long time before taking over the team. In a way, you'd think that the fans would be supportive of him while perhaps accepting that they might want a bigger name. But yeah, I think you look at Lyon and you think there's obviously great potential there. They could actually be doing a lot more than they are. And I think it's understandable that the supporters want to make that next step and they don't quite feel that Bruno Genesio is the man to do that. I think Olas is scarred a little bit by the Claude Puel experience 
that Puel came in in 2008 and was given more power than the previous coaches. He was more like a, a manager in an English sense that he dictated the transfer policy. And even though they made the Champions League semi-finals, which is as far as they've ever gone a couple of years later, it didn't go well. They were trophyless seasons. And I don't think Olas wants to hand over that sort of power or money to a big name coach. And indeed, he did a long interview with uh, L'Equipe the day after that Tuesday night press conference. And he said, Jose Mourinho, the special one, is not compatible with the club's economics. He did describe Laurent Blanc as having a good profile for the club. Whether that goes through or not, I'm, I'm really not sure. But uh, Blanc's been out of the game now for three years anyway. So, a risk. Well, life for a Lyon supporter could be worse. You could be a Marseille supporter. Marseille beaten again and just when it looked like their season was was picking up and they were going to end with a flourish they lost at PSG they drew it home to Angers and now they have lost away to Bordeaux they always seem to lose away to Bordeaux 42 years in a row now Andy Scott was bringing us the action from the Matmut Atlantique here is Nicolas de Preville into the penalty box, gets his shot away. It's a beautifully taken goal by Nicolas de Preville. It's 2 0. Dimitri Payet can barely look. Bordeaux just love it at home against Marseille. They've done it again tonight. A 2 0 win. It's now 34 games unbeaten at home to OM. Well, it is that absolutely astonishing Marseille. Haven't won at Bordeaux since 1977. And um, that was a very special year. It was uh, the year that Virginia Wade won Wimbledon for, for Britain. And it was the year that Matthew Spiro was born. But uh, for, for, for Marseille supporters, um, it's, it's too long, isn't it? And, you know, it's an incredible stat because Marseille are a huge football club. Mm. You know, it's not like we're saying, oh, Gangon haven't won at, uh, at Strasbourg for 42 years. Marseille have won league titles in that time, but they just can't do it and you do wonder is it is it something psychological they turn up and board out but at Bordeaux and think this is going to be a tough night I think more than um, more than it being perhaps a psychological thing for Marseille it's 42 years but it's 34 games in the top flight so maybe it's not quite as bad as it sounds but yes 34 games is still an incredibly long time for for one team to go unbeaten in a, in a particular fixture and um, I think it's more a psychological thing the other way around for Bordeaux because I mean, I've actually commentated this game, I think, in the last three seasons now, bizarrely. And actually, the previous two games ended in draws. And even that, the Bordeaux fans were delighted. Last year, Marseille scored a 94th-minute equaliser. But it didn't matter. They were all celebrating at the end of the game. You know, there's, there's this banner in the stands at the Atlantique with the date, the 1st of October 1977, the last time that, that Bordeaux lost in this fixture. And the Bordeaux fans were at the training ground on the day before the game saying that with a banner saying, Defeat Forbidden in this match you know Bordeaux are in mid-table not having a great season of course you know lots of turmoil uh, on and off the field but this is the one game that unites the the, the fans and the they're players big together they're, they're, they're big rivals these two clubs aren't they and yeah. that that's, was kind of born in the 1980s when uh, Bordeaux had Claude Bez as the president and Bernard Tappy then came to Marseille and they became the two biggest and best clubs in France. Yeah, I mean, those those 42 years, obviously Marseille in that time had won several league titles, the Champions League. Bordeaux won five league titles in that time as well. And, you know, they might not be one of the very biggest clubs in France at the moment in terms of what they're doing on the field, but they have been at points in, in, in those last four decades. So it's never really been an easy place to go. Actually, Bordeaux's home record has been pretty solid throughout the last couple of seasons, despite their, their inconsistency. But I, I just think this... 
is a psychological thing for Marseille, but mainly for Bordeaux, that they know that they really have to get a result in this game. And, you know, it's Paulo Sosa's first win, and I think he was probably, it was made clear to him the importance of getting a result in this match. And it's just given them, it was sort of the one target left for them this season to, to get a win under Paulo Sosa, to get that first win under their yeah. belt, and to, to make had, sure they didn't uh, lose that fixture. They'd had three draws uh, in, in Sosa's first three games, the win against Marseille. Tell me about the, the actual game. It finished 2 0 to Bordeaux. They were deserved winners. Yeah, I would say so. They, um, it's a long time ago now, Friday night, isn't it? <laughs> I'm struggling to remember what happened. But yeah, um, I mean, I mean, Florian Tovan admitted after the game, very frankly, he said we were rubbish, didn't he? And I think that kind of summed it up. You know, Bordeaux um, started well, as they always do. Uh, and then, of course, they were gifted the penalty. This bizarre handball by Nemanja Radonjic, who was starting for Marseille, uh, hasn't obviously started many games this season. Actually, it's worth mentioning the team selection by Rudy Garcia because... We know that the, their revival prior to the recent international break uh, was maybe not as a result of, but coincided with the changes in his team. He dropped Dimitri Payet, Luis Gustavo, uh, Adil Rami hasn't been playing. Payet actually came back in for this game, uh, started the match's first start since the 20th of January, I think. Um, you know, Luis Gustavo was again on the bench, but there were changes. There was no Balotelli in the starting lineup, no Lucas Ocampos at all. And uh, Marseille were, were, you know, sort of all at sea. Radonjic giving away the penalty. And then the second goal coming uh, just after Mario Balotelli had come off the bench. There was a, a spell early in the second half where Marseille threatened to get the equaliser. They find themselves 2-0 down. And then the last 20 minutes are dominated by Mario Balotelli uh, winding up the Bordeaux defenders and getting Pablo sent off with a, a bleeding nose after their uh, earlier incident, earlier clash on the field. But Bordeaux held on. And just uh, ab about that Florian Tovan interview, because I, I actually thought it was brilliant. And I know a lot of Marseille fans appreciate it because they're fed up of hearing the same old excuses. We were a bit unlucky in Tovan. He came out into the, to the mix zone to talk to journalists and he started, he started saying, well, we, we made a promising start to the game. I'm not sure if their penalty should have been a penalty. I think maybe we could have had a penalty. And then he just stopped and he said, oh, just, I'm talking rubbish, guys. Um, it's time to stop making excuses. We were, we were rubbish. We didn't deserve any more than this. And our season's just uh, going down the pan and it's the same story every season. And, it, you know, and... It, and he's been criticised in some quarters because people are saying, well, actually, you're not being very kind to your teammates by basically saying this season is a, is a write-off. But uh, I found it quite refreshing, Dave, from the, from the former Newcastle ace. Thanks for mentioning former Newcastle. Otherwise, I didn't have to, I'd have had to have done it myself. Um, no, it is refreshing. We complain all the time when players are media trained to within an inch of their lives and they don't tell us anything and they're incredibly dull. So for someone to actually come out and say what they think is good. Um, people will point at Tovan's own form, though, and say that he got to 12 goals really quickly this season, but he's only got one in his last eight or something like that. Um, hasn't been scoring since Balotelli's come in, even if they have struck up a, a good understanding uh, off the pitch, especially. Uh, and people will also be saying, is Tovan only saying this now because he wants out of the club in the summer and he's just preparing his way for a, a departure, having once said that he wanted to be to Marseille what Francesco Totti was to Roma. Is he after Champions League football next season elsewhere? Because he, he went on in this interview to say, well, what's the point in us qualifying for the Champions League? What would we do with this team if we did manage to get into the Champions League? Now, just uh, before we move on and talk about more former Newcastle players, um, you can email questions to us and we would uh, very much welcome them. Our email address is league1podcast 
at gmail.com. That's uh, L-I-G-U-E, one, the number, podcast at gmail.com. So Marseille still in fifth. They haven't lost too much ground because actually none of the top six won this weekend, which was uh, quite bizarre. Saint-Étienne are still in fourth position, but uh, they very nearly lost away to Amiens. Luckily, the uh, ex-magpie Remy Cabela scored a brilliant goal in the uh, the dying seconds. Meanwhile, Wren also drew thanks to a magician of a former Newcastle player, Hatem Ben Arfa. And it was a sensational goal that Hatem Ben Arfa scored. It finished uh, 3-3 in what was a cracking game between Ren and Angers. But for me, this was, this was the goal of the weekend. Ben Arfa started sort of turning in circles in, in, in the middle of the pitch. And you thought, what's he doing? But then he just sort of kept going. And he dribbled around about six, seven players. Played a 1-2, was it with uh, Mbai Nyong? It was and with Nyong, yeah. With Nyong. Nyong crossed it and, and Ben Arfa scored. And... Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a delightful moment, and I guess you were feeling nostalgic. Uh, David. Uh, the only surprise to me was that he passed the ball. Uh, I <laughs> thought he was just going to go all the way himself. Uh, and Newcastle fans will remember special goals he scored against Blackburn and Bolton, and they were a bit like those. I highly recommend getting onto the official YouTube channel and watching uh, Hatton Ben Arthur's goal. He also scored a penalty uh, in that game, and uh, in 2019. He's got back to something like the standards that he showed at Nice uh, when he scored 17 goals in that season that persuaded Paris Saint-Germain to recruit him. And it's very exciting that he's in this form, given that Rennes are going to be playing PSG in the Coupe de France final at the end of the month. You, when, when you uh, said a minute ago about Florian Tovan, about how it's, it's refreshing to hear the way he speaks, uh, Hatem Ben Arfa gave a, a really good interview to L'Equipe last week, just before they played Lyon in the Cup semi-final. I thought it was fascinating reading what he said, talking about how everything he does on the pitch is about the art of the lie, like fooling the opposition defender into thinking he's going to play the ball there and then going the other way, or make the run there and then go the other way. I thought it was really fascinating as an insight into how Hatem Ben Arfa plays his game. And um, yeah, I mean, he when he's in the mood, he's still a, a brilliant player to watch. And there is that hope that he and Ren can give PSG a real game in the cup final. That result against Angers doesn't do their no. chances of qualifying for Europe via the league too much good. No, because they're, they're mid-table, 42 points. They're eight points off fourth. If they're going to get into Europe, they might have to beat Paris Saint-Germain in the, in the cup final. But uh, when you think about how Rennes' season was so exciting uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was episode one or episode two of the podcast, we were all getting excited about Rennes. They just knocked uh, Betis out of the Europa League and beat an Arsenal 3-1 at home. But... Uh, they're a bit short, aren't they, in terms of in, in terms of quality. I mean, I'm still impressed with what Julian Stefan has done, and I, I I would like to think that he can build on that through the summer. But to Dave or Andy, do, do they have to keep Ben Arthur? Do you think to 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 move forward, or or not necessarily? Not necessarily. That uh, Ben Arthur's fantastic to watch, and his his highlights video on your uh, well-known video platforms makes for incredible viewing. But watch him over 90 minutes and Newcastle supporters, if they're honest with themselves, will remember this. He can be incredibly frustrating that uh, you need to build your team around him. He tries to dribble the ball out of defence, often gives it away. And this was happening even in those European victories. And he plays his own team into trouble, uh, can sometimes look disinterested. I don't think he's been a disruptive influence in the dressing room at Rennes, which is uh, something that's been um, levelled at him throughout his career. So do they necessarily need him? No, not necessarily. I do think they need to keep Mbaye Nyong, who's hit his scoring form 
recently and will be available for what in the current market is a, a reasonable price. Uh, about 15 to 20 million has been quoted. Well, Angers are, are pretty much safe with, uh, with that point. They're also up in mid-table. And last week, we, uh, we all named uh, a young player to, to watch out for. Since we did that, Boulay Dia um, of Reims has, has barely played, and uh, that was Robbie's suggestion. He, he started I, yesterday. Did he? Okay. okay. William Saliba, my, you might not have my noticed, tip hasn't played, and Robbie's saying, oh, well, Matt Saliba. And former Newcastle man Loic Remy was picked ahead of Raphael Leal for Lille. So, yeah, so we're cursing these guys, but um, we're, we're not going to do the same because it's just unfair on these youngsters. We're putting too much pressure on them. But I'm going to talk about a kid who came good this weekend, Jeff Wren Adelaide, 21 Who years of age. Who used to play for, Matt? He used to play for Arsenal. He didn't play much. He played eight games for Arsenal, but he was signed by Arsene Wenger as a 17-year-old, and uh, there was all sorts of excitement and stories about how this kid was going to be um, the next sensation. It didn't happen for him. He never really looked the part, to be honest with you. He played mainly in the League Cup for, for Arsenal, but um, he moved to Angers, I think it was January of last uh, year, so he's had uh, just over a full, a full season all in all. And it's taken him 40-odd games to get his first goals. Um, but he is a support striker. He can play out wide. He can play in midfield. And he's actually done pretty well. He's actually played pretty well for Stefan Moulin's team uh, this season. And I just think two goals and an assist at the weekend. He might be up and running now. This fella... Jeffrey in Adelaide, he's only 21 years of age. He's playing for the France under-21s. Some, some players take longer than others in terms of their development. I've just got a feeling. Let's watch Jeffrey in Adelaide in, in the next few weeks and we'll see if he, can, uh, if he can build on those two goals. We're going to move on now and talk about the relegation battle quickly because things have changed once again at the bottom. Um, a tremendous win. We uh, talked about Dijon winning 3-1 at uh, Lyon. That's propelled them up to 18th. Uh, Gangon were very, very close to claiming another scalp, but uh, as Armel Tangi saw for us at the weekend, they didn't quite hold out against Monaco. Gangon very deep. Plenty of red shirts back. It's silly this time. Vinicius, Gilleborgi stopping him, and Monaco have got the goal. It's oh so cruel for the home side. But it's Devin Jovetic. And the Ritterroot has been silenced in the 94th minute. And Gangar's evening has been ruined. Yes, Stevan Jovetic back and uh, among the goals for Monaco. That's actually a, a pretty important goal for Monaco because they're not out of the woods uh, quite yet. Had they lost to Gangar, they obviously would have been in, in even bigger trouble. Let me just give you a quick recap of the situation now. Arguably six clubs are still threatened by relegation. You've got uh, Gangon and Caen, who are bottom with uh, 23 points each. Gangon bottom on goal difference. Dijon, with their win over Lyon, have moved up to 18th. Now, that is significant, of course, because uh, 18th position isn't automatic relegation in France. It's uh, a playoff against the team that uh, uh, wins the, uh, the playoff to, to, to finish third in, uh, in Ligue 2. It's all a bit complicated. but uh, And then just above the bottom three, you've got Nantes, Monaco and Amiens. Now, they're all on 31 points. So they're seven points above Dijon, which looks fairly comfortable. But, you know, Nantes are, are not winning. Amiens, they've been picking up a few points. But uh, you never know. You never know. If Dijon, Caen, Gangon can, uh, can string a run together, then 
you know, perhaps this will become a, a six-team battle. What do you think, uh, fellas? Do you think it, it's it's basically between Dijon, Caen and Gangon, or are those other three still in danger? Well, I did my homework on the Metro this morning, um, given to me by producer Ian. I looked at the fixtures uh, left for the teams down at the bottom, and um, I tallied up the, uh, the likely points that oh, well each of them will win. And um, I think there's next to no chance, in fact, there is no chance that the, the current bottom three will change. I think the only question is who will um, get a second chance in the playoff. There's one big game between Caen and Dijon, I think I'm right in saying, uh, to come in the next few weeks, which could be particularly important in that regard. I think the bottom three at the moment will remain the bottom three. And I think uh, if you're asking for an opinion on who who is going to go down, who should go down automatically, I would say that Caen have been the, the most disappointing team that I've seen this season. Um, and I think that win at Monaco last weekend, as good as it was, will probably ultimately be in vain. Is that why you were late, Andy? Did you miss your stop on the Metro? Or you yeah, I got off and I sat in the Jardin des Tuileries for a short while and just looked <laughs> pensively into the sky and, and thought about it deeply. Dave, of those three, Dijon, Caen and Gangon, which team would you miss in Ligue 1? Which team would you like to, to see stay up? I, I think regular listeners know that most of us have a soft spot for Gangon. So I, I would like to see Gangon stay up. I have a soft spot for Dijon. I think I, 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 I like the town. Really nice town. Uh, brilliant wine and uh, mustard snails, and obviously, obviously mustard. I've actually been to a moutarderie where they explain how how mustard is made, and uh, um, met a really nice chap actually who ran it. Gave me free mustard. I still have some in my fridge. But also, also they play they play good football under well. They used to play good football under Dalaglio. Andy's shaking his head. They used to play good football under Dalaglio. He was sacked before Christmas. Antoine Kumbawari has come in and is in danger of contributing to two relegations because he was Gangon coach at the start of the season. He's now Dijon coach, and uh, it's not going well for for Antoine. Although it went better at the weekend with that with that terrific victory. Yeah, which they needed. I think uh, I think if they'd lost that game, obviously it just would have, which we expected, it would have left them in an even more uh, difficult position. He's at a He's had a difficult time. It's always hard to have an impact uh, when you come into a struggling team like that midway through a season. And, and you know, in hindsight, it does look a bit odd that Dijon went for a man who was, you know, who was going backwards at, at Gangon, another struggling club. I've got a theory. I think Antoine Comboire has got a lucky baseball cap now. Ah. He was wearing it at Lyon at the weekend. And we know that uh, when you're trying to avoid relegation in France, you often turn to a firefighter wearing, a, as they're known over here, wearing a baseball cap. It's usually Ellie Bope. I think now that he's got the baseball cap on, he needs to wear it for every game until the end of the season to give Dijon a chance. One, one thing that always intrigues me with Antoine Comboare, who's this stalwart of, of the French game, is he played in, in Scotland, didn't he, Andy? I don't, I don't know if you... It's funny, it's funny you said that. I was just thinking about the first time I saw Antoine Comboare playing against uh, this brilliant team, Dundee United at Tannadice in the mid-1990s, when we... Hammered Aberdeen, I think, four or five nil. Yeah, he played for Aberdeen. Played yeah. for Aberdeen and uh, uh, played for a top PSG side in the 90s. That yeah, won but the, this the is the thing. I mean, back, back then, I just I hadn't really uh, seen much of Antoine Kumbari previously. And actually, he'd, he'd only just been playing for PSG in a fine team and came along and played in a dreadful Aberdeen side. If you want to know more about Antoine Kumbari or uh, any Ligue 1 uh, figure, whether it's a coach or whether you've got anything to ask us about League One, you can email us at league1podcast at gmail.com. Our email address, L-I-G-U-E, that's how you spell league in French, one, the number, podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we will answer your questions. We have uh, a question from uh, a listener, David Clements, 
Um, an interesting question this. He says, with Paris FC sitting third in Ligue 2 at the moment and uh, on course perhaps for a, a promotion playoff, um, is there a possibility that uh, we could see the rivalry, a rivalry in Paris between Paris Saint-Germain and uh, Paris FC? It's funny, isn't it, how Paris just has, just has one top club. You compare it with London, you know, most, most big European cities, certainly European capitals. Dave, would there be a rivalry if, if Paris FC do win promotion? Technically, with two clubs in the same city, but it wouldn't be a rivalry, no. And the, the problem when it comes to second Paris clubs has always been getting enough fans to go and watch them. And this was the case even in the mid-1980s when Matra Racing were more credible challenges to uh, Paris Saint-Germain's dominance of the capital. And they had some... Fine players, actually. It must They're... be possible, Dave. It must be the, the reservoir of, uh, of yeah, football, it, 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 the population yeah. of, of Greater well, it, Paris it, this... and the love for football here. Well, that, that's the discrepancy, isn't it? That the Paris region is the hotbed of world football, produced more players at the World Cup than any other region yeah. in the world. But there's not the same culture of going to sports events in Paris that there is in London, especially, or in other major European cities. So look at the crowds that Paris FC are getting at Stade Charlotte, which is not my favourite stadium because it's got a running track around it. And so you feel really far from the action. It's windy. And even when they played Red Star, another Paris region club, they only got 8,000 people at that game. It would be different if they played against Paris Saint-Germain, of course, but it would be mainly full of Paris Saint-Germain fans. It was the same with Matra Racing in the 1980s. At times, their crowds dropped to 7,000. Uh, the two rugby clubs have a similar problem. That There's probably... Think only enough space for one of Stade Francais and one of they need a good name. They just need a club with a good name now. I mean, Matra Racing's not going to attract fans. Paris FC's hardly original. I think um, one of the things is that obviously we talk about we talk about Paris from outside uh, France, and we we kind of refer to the region as a whole. Whereas here in France, obviously Paris is very much Paris, and then everything that is outside the Ring Road is is not Paris. And uh, Red Star, obviously, are a club who we think of as being from Paris. They actually come from the northern suburbs. If they were ever in the top flight, I think there really would be a rivalry in terms of uh, identity. They could not be further removed from uh, Paris Saint-Germain. Sadly, they're at the bottom of the second division and have uh, one or two problems. I was actually at Stade Charlotte for the game against Paris FC just before Christmas. And um, you said there weren't many people there. It was the biggest crowd of the season. It was 8,000. There was about 2,000 Red Star fans. It was a brilliant atmosphere. And Red Star scored a 96-minute equaliser, which was a, a shock result because Paris FC are doing very well. But yeah, Paris FC... Um, to give it a bit of history, uh, effectively, w they were the same club, weren't they? Then there was a separation between what is now Paris Saint-Germain and what is now Paris FC in the 1970s, back when Marseille were winning games in Bordeaux. And um, basically, th there's now this prospect that they could be playing each other in the top flight, but it still seems there's a long way to go to get to that. They have to come through the playoffs, which would mean what winning three matches to get there. And then they've obviously got a very long way to go before they could compete with Paris and they need real money as well. And even uh, the, the Racing team, they, they signed people like Enzo Francescoli, Pierre Litbarski, David Ginola played for them in a Coupe de France final. And they still weren't getting massive crowds, even though they were a high-profile team. Guys, you're negative. I, they, you know, it's Paris. No, I, I think you must be able to get money. You must be able to get support. But there were competing I, attractions. I, 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 I see you at the theatre every Tuesday, Matt, and then on Wednesday you've got other things true. to do. There's think, a lot think, on at the cinema at the moment as well. I think it's true I think it's true that if they were in the top flight, the crowds would, um, would, would multiply several times over. And Paris FC do have uh, actually ambitious owners. 
uh, with uh, with a lot of money behind them. They've just built a new um, training ground up near Orly Airport. Um, they're a club who are developing, and I think obviously if they're in the top flight, they can attract even better players. And yes, a rivalry would develop, but I'm just saying I think we're a long way from. I remember Andy. I remember reading a story maybe 15 years ago or so. That Bernard Tappy was uh, was planning to launch a football club in Paris, and he said we're going to play our home games at the Stade de France, and we're going to we're going to put Paris Saint Germain in their place. He, he's obviously a big. Uh, a big rival in terms of uh, hating Paris Saint-Germain. He's stoked that kind of big rivalry between Marseille and uh, and PSG back in Marseille's heyday. And I just thought that would be fantastic. And maybe you need somebody with the charisma. I mean, say what you like about Bernard Tappi. I know he's not, not everybody is a fan, but uh, he has charisma, he has ambition. And surely somebody can do that. Somebody can can launch a Parisian club. We're, we're, we're running out of time, fellas. And I, I do want to to finish with our lovely little bon voyage segment so uh, we're going to look ahead to next weekend some big big matches not least at the Stade Pierre Mora in uh, in northern France we've got Lille against PSG Marseille against Nîmes Nantes against Lyon that's uh, a big one Strasbourg Gangon a repeat of the Coupe de la Ligue final Ren against Nice which uh, Dave will call what the Hatem Benar for Rico or something it's a bit like the Balotelico um, Saint-Etienne Bordeaux um, Andy, Dave, let me know where where would you like to go next weekend? And well, why? yeah, the, the big game obviously is in Lille, uh, second against first, and um, PSG have the chance to win the title, so that's the place to be on Sunday night. And um, given that this is a travel section, first and foremost, I think we should <laughs> we should uh, say that Lille obviously is a great place to visit. If you're coming from Paris, like we would be, it's only an hour away on the train. If you're coming from uh, London, London or Brussels, it, yeah. it's nearby. It's a beautiful place. It's very different to most other cities in France. It's very obviously Flemish influenced. Um, great place to, to eat, some great restaurants, great places to visit, the Musée des Beaux-Arts. And uh, the stadium is uh, pretty easily accessible by train, uh, by metro. So there you go. You'll be there in no time. And then you'll be on the, on the train again, heading home first thing the next morning to work. Pretty good. Pretty good. Dave? I, I'd be quite happy with a team outing for this one for once. We can all leave our shared commentator's house together, maybe have an evening out in Lille after the match. Uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head back to Rennes, have some galette sausages, fellas, and... Uh, <laughs> Um, see Ren against Nice because Ben Arthur at the moment is just uh, worth the admission fee on his own. That is, uh, that is it then for uh, for this week. I do hope you've uh, enjoyed. And uh, like I say, email in your questions, league1podcast at gmail.com. From, uh, from Andy Scott, from David Crossan, and from me, Matt Spiro, it's time to wish you a very good week. And we'll see you again soon. Bye bye. Oh!